0: Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. Well, we are in our, our sermon series uh, straight out of the book of Colossians. Uh, how many of you have been here the last maybe few weeks, months? So you've been in this sermon series. Uh, Hopefully you've enjoyed it. So we're just taking, if if you haven't been here, we're taking the church through the letter to Colossians. And uh, Paul, everyone say Paul. Paul is writing most likely from Ephesus from a prison. He's not doing prison time. He's actually literally in prison. He's writing to a church he's never met, a young church. Most of them uh, were formerly pagan. And uh, now they're uh, trying to find their way as they follow Jesus uh, in this very pagan world. So Paul's writing to them. And so I want to talk uh, just from, we actually made it to chapter 2. Can I get an amen? We made it. Come on, we made it. If you know anything about our expository series, to get to chapter 2 is a win, okay? We made it. And uh, we're going to spend about two weeks in chapter two, and then I uh, will take about maybe two, three weeks, and we'll finish off the book. And uh, man, I'm just excited for the next five weeks, so please don't miss it. Invite as many friends as you can. Uh, but I'm going I'm to take you through 15 verses uh, this morning. How many readers do we have? Uh, readers or leaders. Amen. And uh, I'm going to take you through 15 verses. I'm going I'm to do it a little bit different. I'm going to give commentary. I'm going to read a verse. And then I'm going to share just a few thoughts, and then I'll just transition. So I'm not going to actually read through these uh, uh, 15 verses. I'm just going to kind of break it down, okay? Everyone say break it down. Uh, before, I, before I get into uh, our talk here today, I want to thank you guys for praying for my wife and I. We went on a camping trip this last week. How many campers do we have here? Okay, Mark Francis, put your hand down. Put your hand down. Uh, uh, to me, camping is purposeful suffering, Come on. Like, how, how many, like, I'm a no pain, no pain kind of guy. And uh, camping, I just realized, man, you go, man, it's too much wild in the wild. Can I get an amen? It's too much wild, too much crazy, too many little critters, right? Uh, we went to bear country. I don't know why, but we had the general, that's Scott Maurice. He just told us what to do, and I did it. I had no idea, but I was chopping down trees. Thank you very much, sort of. Uh, I was helping, please, um, that, it was, that's small, I, I, yeah, I mean, seriously, babe, you, now, nah, it was a tree that I chopped down, all right, that was a little twig, that was a little twig, um, but it, uh, we had a good time, we survived, it was crazy, about two o'clock in the morning, um, I woke up, I'm, I'm not joking, I thought we were going to die of exposure, I'm not joking. So I, I had to go in the other part of this massive tent, and uh, I looked at Quincy, and he was awake. And I, I go, hey, Q, how you doing? He's like, Dad, my face is freezing. And so I did what any good dad, you know, would say. I'm like, son, I know we're going to die. Don't worry about it. Go back to sleep. Have you ever been? I mean, it was just, it was miserable, guys. This is the last time i am ever going to go camping, but thank you for your prayers, Um, I just. How many of you like adventure? You like adventure? Okay. I I like adventure in books. That's like my new philosophy. I'm going to go to the books now. But we had a great time. Scott and Willow were with us and uh, Marshall and Rachel and and we came back. We didn't have Wi-Fi and I realized, you're like, oh my God, Chris, of course you didn't have Wi-Fi. And I realized we had no phone service. So if a bear got us, um, no one was going to know where we were at. I didn't tell any of our executive team. So we made it back. Uh, I'm excited to be here today. Um, I'm, again, I'm never going to go camping again. Let's go straight to Colossians chapter 2. And I just want to read just a few verses. Before I do that, last week we talked about suffering. We talked a little bit about stewardship. We talked a little bit about glory. Uh, Paul is now transitioning back. He, he wants to take the focus because he talked a little bit about suffering and glory and, and stewardship and how, how we allow God to work through us for the sake of his purpose. Uh, He then transitions in Colossians chapter 2. He wants to refocus us on King Jesus. It's all about King Jesus for Paul. If you don't like Jesus, you ain't going to like Paul. If you don't like talk about Jesus, if you get bored with Jesus, at the end of this message, if you come up to me and say, Chris, why do we have to talk about Jesus? I'm a little bit bored. Can we talk about something else? I'm going to say, no, we're not going to not talk about Jesus right? I, I could give you some self-help stuff. I could, man, I could, you know, Anthony or Tony Robbins style. I can give you that kind of stuff, but we're not talking in church about consumerism. We're talking about King Jesus. Like, how many of you like uh, Christian chicken, Chick-fil-A, right? Okay, uh, my kids have a reputation when they go to a restaurant, they love to order off the menu, and uh, for, for example, I think we went to a, an Italian restaurant, might have been a Chinese restaurant, having a great time. Q, he has the loudest voice in the world. And uh, in front of the wait, waiter, he goes, Dad, d- uh, do they have sushi? And I'm like, are you kidding me? We're at an Italian restaurant, right? They, that's, not, that's not what they do. Um, it's funny how uh, many people, when it comes to following Jesus, like, is there something more? Is there something off the menu that can complete me, Right. Like when we go to um, Chick-fil-A, uh, it'd be a weird request if I went up to the counter and I asked the people working there, hey guys, um, can I have like um, so a hamburger with the with, with side of cream cheese and some pepper jelly? How many of you love pepper jelly? It's the rage. If you haven't had pepper jelly with cream cheese, you have not lived yet. Um, but if I was to ask the waiter, hey, um, I, I don't want chicken, I just want, I want a hamburger and I want some cream cheese, they look at me a little bit weird, Right? Hey, when it, comes to, when it comes to church, when it comes to Sunday morning, when it comes to Paul, uh, his focus is King Jesus. It's always King Jesus. Uh, King Jesus is the one who makes you complete. Can I get an amen? Like we're not gonna like offer like a little North American spirituality on one Sunday, maybe a little bit of 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 Taoism or Buddhism on another Sunday. Uh, We're not gonna offer maybe some self help stuff on another Sunday. We're gonna talk about King Jesus. We're gonna talk about what He has done for us. We're gonna talk about how we are complete in Him, how He makes all things new, and how He is working out everything for your good, for His glory. God has a plan for you. He has a purpose for your life. And even though you're going through a difficult circumstance, it's always about King Jesus. And he is the one who will sustain you. And he will make good on your life and your kids and your money and your resources. Your entire embodied life is, if you're a follower of Jesus, is under King Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. And that's what drives Paul. So we come to verse 1, and he says, For I want you, he wants us to focus on King Jesus, but he says, For I want you to know how great a struggle. Everyone say struggle. How great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. It was funny. Back to camping. I'm going to talk about camping all day, okay? Okay. So it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and I, I'm not joking. It was about 32 degrees. Uh, we had a couple blankets. I mean, we totally just, we, we were un, underprepared. And I remember I, I turned to my wife, and I'm like, babe, I don't think we're going to make it. And my, and my wife turned to me, and she says, I'm out. I'm done. And we held each other for four hours. And it was, it was weird. I'm not joking. We literally, I'm not a snuggler, right? And my wife's a snuggler. She had the time of her life snuggling with me for five hours. Was that too much? Stop it. That wasn't too much. But I have never longed that much for daybreak. I could not wait for the light to come. It's pitch dark out there, people, and there are animals and critters, there are bears, and I... My mind, my mind, my mind. You know, it was crazy. But I remember when my wife said, "I'm out, I'm done, I, I'm, I can't be in this struggle anymore," and I'm like, "Me too." It was amazing what happened to me. I'm like, I'm not alone, right? There's something when men, when you know I'm in the struggle, and when I know you're in the struggle. And when Paul wants to make known to all of them that he's also in the struggle, when we know when we're all in the struggle and that we're going through stuff and that just because you're going through stuff doesn't mean that God has left you or abandoned you or forsaken you, but that God can take your struggle and he can work new creation through your experiences or through your difficulties. When you know that, there's solidarity. And when you know you're not alone and when you know you're not isolated, when you know you don't have to put up the tent all by yourself, but you got the general, you got a marshal, right? You got people that can help you build a fire, right? And chop down trees. You know you can do all things, right? Is what Paul is saying. Hey, I want you to know that, man, life is not like a Sunday picnic. It's not like Olaf and his summer dream. Sing it, summer, right? That's not the Christian story, the Christian story is that we've won because of the achievements of Jesus, but it's not a Christian picnic. You can't just flippantly, casually follow Jesus. Come on, it's a fight. And we don't feel the good feel of field. This is good preaching this morning. But we fight the good fight of faith. And we fight from a place of victory because of the achievements of Jesus, which we talked about over the last six weeks. So we're encouraged we're encouraged when we know that we're, and we're all going through different things. This is why I like, I, I love our church because we have older people, we have younger people, we have middle-aged people, we got toddlers. We got babies, we got teens, tweens, uh, we got 20-somethings and 30-somethings, and we've all gone through different life experiences. And I love going to someone who's like 10 years in front of me and asking them, like Michael and Natalie, how'd you raise like the perfect children? And he said, it was tough, but they were great. And here's here's some basic thoughts that I can give to you. It's encouraging for my wife and I when I think I'm raising three crazy psychopathic triplets, right? And I'm kidding. They're the best kids in the world, and I love them with all my heart. But I need someone that's gone before me and who's been in the struggle. And when they, man, here's the thing. You can redeem your struggle. God can redeem your struggle. And if you allow God to work his love and his grace in your life, in your struggle, he can use that to bless other people. It's amazing how God sees so much further down the road of your life. And he sees that if you can stick it out, if you can just put your trust in Jesus, you keep on focusing on him in your difficult circumstance 10, 15, down, uh, 10, 15 years down the road, God will use your struggle to bless churches and families and cities. God, man, one one I think scholar said, God births our ministry in our deepest point of pain. Man. And God can heal you, not just so He can just heal you for your own sake, but God wants to heal you so you can heal others. So struggle, knowing that we're in the struggle together is it's it's incredible. It's it's encouraging. And then uh Paul continues in verse 2, he says, being knit together in love. We go to verse 3, to reach, excuse me, continued in verse 2, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's my- mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Paul's talking about his struggle, and then he switches it a little bit, and he basically says the baseline for every Christian is King Jesus. You see, he's trying to communicate to this young church, hey, you don't need more vision boards, right? You don't need more victory and vacations. How many of you love a good vacation? Every now and then four of you, okay? Some of you need to take a vacation, right? Lord have mercy. But we we don't need more victory or vacations or vision boards or vision quests or strategies. What Paul is saying, you just need more assurance, it's it's funny how there's so many Christians that they live under this cloud of uncertainty and anxiety and frustration and doubt. They're like, well, maybe, and they just assume that they're they're generally inadequate in life to follow Jesus. And somehow they project that onto God, and so they live under this, this cloud of fear and being afraid. We call this scarcity. Like, I'm not enough. I can't make it. I can't do what God wants me to do. Well, God's not going to come and say, okay, I guess... Um, My son's achievement for you was inadequate, so I'm going to have to do something else to get you on the right path. No. God will come to you and speak to your heart and bring assurance to you. You don't need any more victory, right? You need more assurance of who Jesus is and who you are in Jesus and what Jesus has done for you. Come on. Not only what Jesus has done for you, but who you used to be and where Jesus is taking you. When you know that Jesus is taking you somewhere when you know that Jesus is the centerpiece of the entire cosmos, when you know that he is the image of the invisible God, when you know that he is the embodiment of the fullness of deity, when you know that supernovas and the San Antonio Spurs run through Jesus, he created it all. He's the firstborn of creation. He is the head of the entire space-time World, When you know that and he gave his life for you and he defeated the power of sin and death and hell, you don't need a self-help guru. You don't need more strategy. You need more confidence in who you are in Christ. That's what you need. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and beauty. If you want to discover the meaning of life. If you want to know your purpose, if you want all the status, if you want glory, it's all found in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But we live in a world where this technological, scientific, modern, democratic world, where we've assumed that world history has been summed up by technology and modern medicine. Because we have iPhones, and iPhones are good. Can I get any man to that? Because we have technology, because we have medicine, because we've, we've eradicated some diseases, we have the hard sciences, science, and, and, and we're making progress. That's kind of the thing, progress. We, we can enter into human flourishing. But the Christian claim is that 2,000 years ago, Jesus of Nazareth bodily came back from the dead. And world history as we know it turned its corner. World history did not start or come to its like flourishing end or reach its destiny right around like the late 18th century. World history turned a corner. The facts about our universe changed 2,000 years ago when Jesus died and he came back from the dead, releasing new creation. And when we live within that story, that's when we find assurance and confidence, right? That your iPhone, it's not gonna make you complete. You're going to break it. It will eventually fail you. Can I get an amen to that? Um, man, if you have a beautiful home, it's going to eventually fail you. Like technology and all these good things we have, it will come to an end. It can't fix you totally. It can't complete you. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus. So, to practical things. How do, we, how do we grow into this assurance? How do we grow into this confidence well, I think Paul implies two things. Back to verse two, uh, he says you need to be knitted together in love. I think you find assurance when you uh, belong to a local church. People talk about belonging to a local church, and they assume belonging to a local church means going to a church twice, twice a year. If we're not careful. We can buy into this heroic narrative of the solitary protagonist, like the individual who picks herself up by her bootstraps and just says, I'm going to, through sheer willpower, I am going to overcome. That's kind of the American story. That's not the Christian story. The Christian story is that Jesus overcame for us, the power of sin and corruption and decay, and that as as a body, we belong to each other, and that when we we get together, there's something that dynamically happens in our life. And when we come together, that's when we experience assurance. I just read this church growth guy, and he said this, the main cause of church attendance decline is not the failure of outreach or reaching the unchurched. The true culprit is in the members. He goes, the number one reason members, number one reason for the decline of church attendance is that members attend with less frequency than what they did a few years ago. The issue is not declining numbers, but waning commitment to being together. Man, I love it when I can go to Mark and say, hey, Mark, I I wanted to phone it in this week, and I prayed, and there's grace, but I need you to, to help me. I love it when you can call someone you really belong and you show up every single Sunday as much as possible and you get good teaching and you get the word and you have fellowship and you build relationship. There's nothing that can replace that. And when you build relationship, you grow in confidence. You grow in assurance. There's a dynamic that cannot be replaced in simply by living life by yourself or in isolation. So we need each other. Can I get an amen? Not only do we need each other, and when, when, you, when you really belong and when you really come on, on, a, on a consistent single Sunday, this is like a clarion call or something like that. I don't know what that means, but it's a call. It's a summons to everyone in this room. Make Sunday morning one of the number one things you do every single week. I, I'm convinced the reason why I'm preaching here today is because my parents, who were great, they weren't perfect, but they were exceptional, they drew a line in the sand. It was a non-negotiable. They, they said, kids, Chris, Tracy, uh, Rochelle, we are going to go to church on Sunday. And they made it their commitment. We came to church, they would they would drag us sometimes, kicking and screaming, and I had to wear these awful khaki pants, and the elders... We're on this, like they were on the stage and they would stare at you and it was awkward and worship was interesting and we had flags and people did interpretive dances and the tambourine was a really big thing back then. Thank God that the church has evolved, right? But we still went to church. Church wasn't perfect, but they made a commitment. We're gonna come to church. We're gonna be with each other. We're gonna share our stories and there is stinking power in that. And I remember at 12, not even knowing why I was doing the Pentecostal two-step. I didn't even know what what we were singing about. I knew it was about Jesus. I didn't really understand what what, what atonement meant or redemption meant. But I came, and I kept on coming, and God eventually got a hold of my heart. And I am convinced I'm here because my parents said, we are going to make Sunday morning our number one priority. Why is it that if if it's the case that we're not reaching the world, why is it? It's not because the world's more powerful than Jesus. It's because the members, the family of God, have waned in their commitment. Now, Chris, does that mean I can't, like, go on vacation and uh, take maybe a Sunday off and take my family up into the mountains and do some fun things? No, please do that. That's fine. But make, make Sunday morning a consistent priority. Amen? As you do that, you'll grow insurance number two. You need God's word. I have found the reason why we make bad decisions on a consistent basis is because we're not in God's word on a consistent basis. We have YouVersion. we got Bibles galore. We have daily Bible reading plans that you can download on your phone. Uh, We have good teaching. Can I get an amen? We have podcasts. There are other podcasts out there. What you need to grow in assurance is good content, good teaching. How many of you know there's bad content out there? There's bad content. People say the craziest thing. I, this is breaking news. Not everything that's said on the internet is true. <laughs> or on Instagram or on Facebook, right? We need good content. How do you grow in assurance? You, you grow in assurance when you, when you become familiar with God's word. You get God's word in your heart. A sign that the Holy Spirit is working in you is when you have this insatiable hunger To be with Jesus practically every single day by opening up the pages of your Bible or maybe getting on your phone and going to Version and reading Scripture. It's a sign that a move of God is taking place in your mind and your heart. It's so simple, Chris. It is. That's the good news. You don't have to be an academician or a historian or this moral exemplar to be used by God, to have God build an assurance and confidence in your heart. You just simply need to belong to God's family, make that a commitment, and spend time in God's word, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And he transitions to verse four, and he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. He's probably using or referencing uh, the marketplace, marketplace rhetoric, Again, there's a lot of different mystery cults and paganism was very tolerant, a lot of different varieties when it came to religious experience. Paul most likely is referring to this, that there are plausible arguments or persuasive talk out there that would try to convince you uh, that Jesus is not enough, that Jesus is not adequate, that if you don't have your phone Uh, but you have Jesus, that's not enough. You can live without your phone. You can't live without Jesus. For though I am absent in my body, he continues, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. He's referring to like a military position. He's like, hey, you know what? Jesus is the center of the cosmos, but there are forces, there's talk, there's conversation, there's rulers, there's authorities that will try to delude you Try to turn your thinking upside down to keep you from this reality. So uh, you, you got to be of good order. Uh, You've to you understand that, man, following Jesus isn't just a nice Sunday p- a picnic. The Following Jesus will take some effort. You can't earn your way into the family of God. Can I get an amen? But earning is not antithetical or it, 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 to, to effort. You can you, you could develop effort. I'll say it that way. You can work things out in your life without earning your way into the kingdom of God. Amen? I want to make that even more clear. It's grace that gets you into the family of God, but grace and and works or effort are not antithetical. So we can, by God's grace, do very hard things that we might not like to do. So Paul is saying, hey, I want you to stand firm in your faith, and then he continues to verse six. It says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Received Christ Jesus, King Jesus the Lord. I love this, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. Jesus is over the range of of all phenomenon and experiences, and how you feel. When you receive Christ Jesus, you're not just receiving Jesus as your homeboy. You're not receiving Jesus as a nice wandering rabbi sharing some pretty cool things about how you could be good in the kingdom of God. No, you are, when you come to Jesus and you make a decision to follow Jesus, you're coming under the king of the cosmos who is Lord of all. And when you're armed with that understanding that nothing lies outside the range of God's rule, you're then called to walk in him. It's a beautiful picture. So walk in him. Last night I was, I spent about 25 minutes just kind of meditating on this walk in him. Paul, uh, I, I think, is alluding to the Genesis story that we find in chapter three, where Adam and Eve, they, they hide themselves, they rebel against God, they eat of the fruit, they hide And it says that God came walking in the cool of the garden. It's evocative. It's a picture of how God wants to be with his kids. I remember reading this garden story, being overwhelmed with just the love of God who knows where Adam and Eve are and what they've done. But he's still, his desire is still to walk with his kids. The Christian story is about God Walking with us. I find it interesting is that God, he knows exactly where Adam and Eve are, but he asks the question, where are you? Where are you guys? He's like a good dad. It's like hide and seek, but a little more treacherous, right? (laughs) Like obviously Adam and Eve have done some, some bad things, but God is, he's like, guys, where are you? Isn't it funny how when we go through difficult circumstances in our life, what is the first thing we ask? God, where are you? Where are you? Last night I was reading this, this story, and again, just being overwhelmed with the love of the Father and how he wants to walk with us, and I, I, I had an epiphany. I think we need to reframe the question, where are you, God, to God, where have I gone from you? I think it's God desires to walk with his kids, and to be with his kids. For example, when we were camping, I took Lala's hand and Whitney's hand, and I was going to take them down to the river. Everyone abandoned me. Actually, the general, Scott, was with me. I think the rest of the family went up to the hot springs. And so I didn't build a fire. I did chop some wood. So I had to contribute to this camping like experience. So I watched the kids. Can, can I get a hand clap? All right, thank you. So they wanted to go down uh, this little steep kind of little pathway. And there was some overgrowth and there were some trees. And uh, it kind of had like a little turn. And I remember my daughter and Lala were a little bit insecure about walking down this by themselves. So I grabbed their hands and I walked them down this path. I remember Whitney got a a little bit scared and she slipped on like a little twig. And I grabbed her hand and I looked at her and I told her, I got you. And we thinking in that moment, this is, this is a beautiful picture of how God relates with us. That we, we come under the King Jesus, right? Who, who is the Lord of all, the King of the cosmos. But this King is not distant, he's not a faceless bureaucrat, but he walks with us. So, how do we walk with him? We find in verse seven uh, Paul, because he's a genius, probably knew four different languages, Aramaic, Hebrew, Greek, probably a little bit of Latin. Uh, He gives us like three different metaphors here. I've always been confused because he's explaining how we walk in him. Verse 7, he says, I want you to be rooted up like a tree. And he says, I want you to be built up in him. And I want you to be established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding in thanksgiving. So Paul says, this is how you walk in him. You've got, you got to be rooted in the soil of God's word. Your, your roots have to go down deep. You're like a tree. It's a garden metaphor. And then he says, you got to be built up. If you're a construction worker, if you're a builder, you're going to love this. you got to be built up like a solid house. And once you lay that foundation, and once you get that foundation straight, which is Jesus, then you can build your life upon that. And then he says, I want you to be established in the faith. This is kind of like uh, out of the, the world of lawyers um, and this kind of legalese where there would, a transaction would happen in this ancient setting, and it would be established, like property would go to somebody else. It was fait accompli. It was irreversible. That land was now somebody else's. This is what Paul is saying. I want you to be established in the faith. I don't want you to go back. Jesus is the answer. He is the center of it all. So you're rooted like a tree. You're built up strong like a house. Uh, you're like a, a legal document, and you're also, as one scholar said, you're like a jug full of hot apple cider overflowing with thanksgiving. So how does that relate to walking in Jesus? Well, I think what Paul is saying is that these are all growth meta- metaphors, that God wants you to grow up in your faith. That How many of you like riding your bike? Like if you don't want to fall off and riding your bike, you got to keep on going forward. You got you to keep on, come on, keep on. You got you to keep on moving forward. Uh, you you got to keep your, your eyes in front of you. You can't turn to the left. You can't get distracted. You're like, oh, Bucky the squirrel, awesome. Crash, right? You got to keep your face forward. You got to move forward. And by grace, you can do that. But so many people get distracted, And their their growth gets stunted because they're not looking at Jesus. They're looking at something else. You fix your mind on Jesus. You'll grow up in him. And you'll overflow with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, we talk about this a lot at this church, is the main characteristic of being the people of God. Thanksgiving is your baseline. Not complaint, not fear, not being overwhelmed. No matter what you go through, thanksgiving Paul is saying this, and he's suffered a lot, but he's saying that thanksgiving is the main response to what Jesus has done for you. Let me just say this really quick. The the story about Jesus is all about the apocalypse of God. And in a secular apocalypse, if if you like that kind of thing, the baseline of that kind of dystopian story or plot is always fear. you got zombies, or you have the nuclear holocaust, The facts of our world have been completely altered, right? You have to rebuild civilization. Your basic response to something catastrophic like that would be to be afraid. You would be afraid. But in the apocalypse of God, it goes in the opposite direction. Jesus came through his death and through his resurrection, launched new creation, This is the apocalypse of God. This is the revelation of God's story. No longer do we have to be under the enslavement of corruption and decay and dehumanized sin, right? No longer are we under the kingdom of the Satan. No longer are we under these, these um, irreversible forces we have, because of Jesus, been brought into a new kingdom, and all things are being made new. And when you get that, when you get that you've been rescued by Jesus... When you get that Jesus is rescuing not just your life, but the cosmos and creation itself, your response is to thank him for his goodness. And even though you're going through a difficult, difficult time, when you know that this is true, you thank him and you thank him and you thank him because you know that Jesus is in charge and he's making all things new. Gratitude, and I've preached on this before, but gratitude is a sure sign that you get it. Like if, if Mark Francie, which this would never happen, but if Mark Francie had to come up and rescue us, he would be in big trouble. But let's say he negotiates the whole camping experience and uh, he, brings, you know, he brings some resources and, and us camp, campers are in big trouble and he rescues us from a black bear and a raccoon and this whole camping experience, my response, I, I said I'd be talking about camping the whole time, okay? My response to that situation would, would be to be thankful. Thank you, Mark, for rescuing me from that charging black bear, right? If if Mark rescued me and my response is, oh, oh, cool, right? Thanks for saving my life or you know, you kind of demur and you just kind of go on and you're not so thankful that you have new life, you would probably say that there's something wrong with me. When we get it, a sure sure sign that the Holy Spirit's working in your heart and you know what the Christian story is about, man, that's when your heart is filled overflowing with gratitude. Can I get an amen? Verse 8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. It says, don't be taken captive by philosophy. Some of you are like, Chris, see, philosophy's bad. I hear it in your hearts, right? Philosophy is bad. Paul is not suggesting that philosophy generally is bad. Judaism, the Old Testament was rich with wisdom literature or philosophy literature. You have Proverbs, it's the philosophy on practical living. Right? You have Job, it's the philosophy or it's the wisdom on suffering, right? You have Song of Solomon, it's the philosophy or the wisdom on romance and love. You have Ecclesiastes, it's the philosophy on the meaning of life. So Paul is not saying philosophy is bad, he is suggesting philosophy that is co-opted by a belief that Jesus is not the centerpiece of the cosmos. That is bad. And he says, do not be taken captive by philosophy. Captive, Paul is probably using this word to pun. He's playing with words in the original language. Captive sounds like the synagogue. And so it could be, and I, I think this is a good argument, that Paul is suggesting that there are Judaizers coming in and suggesting to this young church that in order for you to be complete, what you need is to perform the laws of Moses. Paul says that is not true. You don't need to be complete by performing 613 laws. You don't have to be complete to come under the law of Moses. Why? Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. The law pointed to Jesus. Jesus is the dramatic fulfillment. The achievements in his life is the dramatic summing up of the entire law of Moses. So if you have Jesus and the law pointed to Jesus the whole time, why would you want to go back? That's what Paul is saying. You are then complete in Jesus. Amen. Amen. And then he says, according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. I think Paul is placing Judaism here on the same level as every Greek philosophy because Jesus is not the center. Now this attempt to perform or be under the law now is demoted to the place of Greek philosophy. And Paul is saying everything is about King Jesus. We come to verse nine. You guys still with me? Give me a few more minutes. He says, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Jesus is God. The whole fullness of deity dwells in Jesus. And Jesus gives us authentic freedom. And we can make choices to follow him or not. We can make choices to buy red chairs and regret that for 25 years. Anyways, let's move on. We can make choices to be a vegan. I don't know why you would ever want to just live like a bird in an animal. I'm totally kidding all my vegan people. Uh, You can make choices to eat burgers and McDonald's, and that's not going to be good for you. We make choices every single day. We have authentic freedom. Like, you can make decisions. Why? Well, because God is a God of love, and love demands authentic freedom. So God will allow you to make decisions. But because he's God, there's one thing God cannot do. Jesus is God. There's one thing he can't do. He cannot give you joy or happiness outside himself. You can try, right? You can try hard to be complete outside of Jesus, but God cannot. It's not that he will not, God cannot give you what you so desire. At the deepest level of your existence, outside of himself. And verse 10, Paul says, and you have been filled in him. You've been complete in him who is the head of all rule and authority. I love this. You're complete in Jesus. You don't need another spouse to be complete. Can I get an amen? You don't need to go to another city to be more complete. You don't need to go to New York and find yourself, if you're a Christian, to be complete. You don't need anything else to be complete. What you need, what you need, is more of what you already have. That's what you need. Some of you, you Christians and you're living under this cloud of uncertainty because you don't have that assurance, and so that produces this depression, and you're a little bit fuzzy on things, a little bit confused, and you're a little bit empty inside, that isn't because Jesus is somehow inadequate for you. Everything you need, the beauty, the hope, the healing, the rescue, it's all found. It's going to sound like good old-fashioned Christian preaching, but it's only found in Jesus. Only found in him, and i don 't know if I said this earlier, but i 'm going to say it again. my job as your lead pastor is not to bring you more information every single sunday i 'm not here just to give you knowledge and of course i 'm going to give you knowledge i 'm going to give you information, but my job as a lead pastor of this church is to teach you or to convince you is to help you to believe what you already know it 's to create an assurance that hey, you are, you're not in your circumstances. You're not in how you feel. You can't live by your experiences. You can't allow phenomenon in your life to, de- to define you or to shape how you feel about yourself. You're not in that stuff. You're in Christ Jesus. You're under Him and you've been complete in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Every other king, every other deity is subjected is a cheap parody of who Jesus is. And then we go to verse 11. Verse 11, we're almost done here. He says, in him, I love this, this is exciting. I'm expecting a lot of amens, okay? In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Here we have, Paul's talking about the death of Jesus. It's through the death of Jesus that we gain the victory through the death of Jesus that we are circumcised. Paul's being graphic, and he's being graphic for a reason. Circumcision was a sign that you were a covenant member. So what he's talking about, it's, it's in the death of Jesus that you now belong in the family of God. Covenant membership is not based on your ethnicity. Covenant membership is not based on what you've done or haven't done in your past. Covenant membership is not predicated on a series of of good things that you've accomplished or your personality, right? You have this personality profile or you just have a, a propensity to be religious and so God will accept you and bring you into his family. That's not what Paul is saying. It's because of Jesus and his death you now belong, and you're now a part of this world-changing, blessing-only, glory-filled, all-the-status-you-could-ever-want family. That's what you have. Well, Chris, this week, I just I made some bad decisions, and or Chris, I, I have some addictions, and I'm trying to, like break it off, and I just feel like I need more victory or I need more, something, something more. No, no, no. Here's the thing. What you need is just simply more of Jesus. You need to know who you are. And we'll come along and we'll help you, right? But you belong in the family of God because of Jesus and his death. And then your activity, yeah, can explain some of what you do, but your identity is rooted in what Jesus has done for you. And verse 12, having been buried with him, as he continues, in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. There's an interesting link between uh, new creation and baptism. When you're baptized, you come under King Jesus. God relocates you from who you used to be and places you under King Jesus. Your life is intimately bound up in the life of Jesus. Amen? We've talked about this a lot. Martin Luther, uh, when he struggled in life, when he felt depressed or sad, or this, he would have prone to these fits of melancholy. He would tell himself, he would use the Latin, I think it's baptiza to sum, I am baptized. And he would use that as a weapon to remind himself that he was not in his melancholy, that he was not going to allow his life to be shaped by how he feels or how he felt or his circumstances. But baptism signifies that you have now come under King Jesus and you were dead. This is what Paul is saying. Before Jesus, you weren't just a human who struggled with some sin. No, he said you were dead. You, you were like the walking dead. You, you, you couldn't respond to God. You, you were out of your mind. You were curved in on yourself. You, you didn't want God. You didn't want to pray to him. You didn't, you didn't want fellowship with him. You really didn't want purpose. You just wanted your own way. But now in Jesus Through faith, you have come back from the dead. New creation. And Paul says that takes faith. It takes faith. takes us full circle back to assurance. What you need is not more feelings. What you need is more belief, more faith. I think, I remember, and I'm going to close here. I think a lot of people struggle with this remember at the age of 20, um, and actually a whole, probably a good five years, I really struggled with how I felt. Uh, I was recently, at that time, diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and it really affected a lot of different stuff. And so I was just trying to figure out how to manage some, like, mild depression and stuff like that. And I remember I just, I, at times I would give myself to my feelings. And I, I would allow my experiences and what I was going through to really to, to define how I, or it became a filter. It, it became like a prism where I saw the world through, and I felt defeated all the time. It wasn't until I said, okay, I'm going to make a decision to believe even though I don't feel it. I'm going to believe God's word over how I feel. And then I came across a quote of Martin Luther, and he said, feelings come and feelings go, and feelings can't be deceiving, but one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to stake my life on God's word. So I've lived for that I've lived that life for 20 years. I'm not going to live by how I feel. I'm not going to live by what I'm thinking inside about myself or my circumstances. Things don't feel right, but I'm going to live my life based on God's word. So Chris, I just don't feel like I'm a new creation. Chris, I don't feel like I'm forgiven. Chris, I just, I feel like I don't have power. Chris, I feel like I'm inadequate. I just, I feel like I'm chronically just losing all the time. Just, man, my suggestion is, are you really believing God's word? Because what you need is assurance today. You need to know that God has your hand and he's walking with you through the circumstances of your life and you have nothing to be afraid of. And he ends in verse 14 by saying, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Verse 15, I sh- we, after I read this, we should give God a hand clap for warning you. It said, Disarm the rulers and authorities, and he put them, this is Jesus through his death, it's a paradox. God disguised the death of Jesus. Uh, they didn't know that through the death of Jesus, that would be the victory of God over the powers, but they put, through Jesus, put these rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So the powers are in, in an irreversible state of decay. They've been defeated. It's, it's fait accompli. It's done. There's no going back. The powers have been defeated by Jesus. So they have, these shadowy powers, have no power to control you any longer. Not those addictions, come on. Not those things you've struggled with for years, not your past that haunts you. These things that would try to control you have lost their control because Jesus, this is the cosmic victory motif, Jesus defeated them. Jesus won the victory over them. Come on, we're on the winning team. That's where we start. Come on. That's where we finish. Man, we're not losers. Come on. We haven't been defeated. Because Jesus won the victory over evil. By triumphing over them through his death. Plutarch, as I end here, I want to pray for you. He describes an ancient battle scene. And in this ancient battle scene, you had soldiers fighting each other. And the families would line up on the side and watch women Would watch their husbands, children watch their fathers go to war, and sometimes it ended well, and the the husbands and fathers would come back. Sometimes it didn't end well, and women would come home with new husbands. It was it was it was just tragic, ancient warfare. And what would happen is that these kings would then take the rulers and authorities that were defeated, and they would parade them through their capital. They would take all the spoils. They would take the women, and they would take the children. And they would parade them. At the end of this parade, they would execute these rulers and authorities and then put all the rest of the women and children, put them into into slavery. Paul is kind of playing off that ancient battle scene. And he's saying that, hey, Satan has been defeated. All the rulers and authorities have been defeated. Jesus, through his victorious death, has paraded the Satan and all his powers on this street, this cosmic street, and you and I were under the rule or the regime of this Satan. And rather than being put into forced slavery in this new kingdom, in Jesus, we're now adopted as sons and daughters. It's powerful. We're captive... We're made captives, but this captivity is actually an adoption. We're taken from one kingdom, and we're placed into another kingdom. It's the kingdom of the beloved Son, and you have access to Jesus. You are complete in Jesus. All that you need is found in Jesus. No ruler has any control over your mind or your body or your spirit or your will or your soul. And everyone said, Amen. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com.